So in our current series, we've been exploring some truths together from the book of Proverbs. And uh, hard act to follow from last week. But <laughs> my son preached last week, that's why. Um, the verses I had in my heart were from Proverbs 3, uh, 5, and 6. So we, let's read those together. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. What I want to share about today is trusting in God. I really like this word leaning. Do not lean on your own understanding. It's very graphic. Um, The question is, what is supporting the weight of your life? Right now I'm leaning on this podium. Uh, What what are we leaning on? What is holding us up? In every situation in life, we have the opportunity to either trust in God or to trust in something else. What else might we be trusting in? What else might we be leaning on? Uh, It turns out there's actually a very large number of possibilities. Uh, Some suggestions are found in other verses in the book of Proverbs. Let's look at a couple of those. One of them is we can trust in our own economic security. Uh, Proverbs 11.28. So I've got the paycheck coming in every week. I've got my 401k. Cars paid off, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I can trust in that, that economic security. But Proverbs says, those who trust in their riches will fail, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Matthew 9.23, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus didn't say that uh, because he had something against the wealthy. Jesus was not a socialist. Um, He said it because when our bank accounts are flush, we're insulated from the many challenges and problems of life by our ability to purchase solutions. When we're secure in the little kingdoms that we've built and control, we have little interest in leaving the safety and security we've created to enter a kingdom built upon dependency in an invisible God. No one enters the kingdom of God whose heart attitude is, hey, no worries, I got this. And I want to make the point that there's no dollar sign attached to this. Uh, We can trust in our riches even when we're not all that rich. It's simply a matter of trusting in our ability to sustain and support ourselves rather than ultimately looking to God. So we could be trusting in our riches That's one thing. What else? We might be trusting in ourselves. Proverbs 3, 5 suggests uh, our own understanding. We could be looking to our own understanding. We can trust in our own abilities, our own strength, our own power, experience, cleverness. And it's all the more tempting to do that if you're able, strong, powerful, experienced, and clever, or all of those things, maybe. So we could trust in, our, in ourselves. 
Proverbs is not the place to come if you like your truth sugar-coated. It's pretty blunt in the evaluation of this option. Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. So how do we walk in wisdom? We walk in wisdom, as Proverbs 3, 6 suggests, by submitting all of our ways to his will. Submitting ourselves to God. There are, of course, a lot of other things we could add to the list of things we could put our trust in besides God. Uh, Many people are trusting in some other God. Um, Some other God made up by men, imagined by men, who is not the creator of the universe. Uh, People trust in science or technology. Technology is that, you know, that God you can pray to with your thumbs. As a nation, are we trusting in God? The slogan in God we trust is, of course, on all our money. But are we really trusting in more in a strong military? As we encounter the difficulties and trials of life, it, they very quickly reveal what our trust is in. Where do we run first? What or who are we depending upon? What is supporting our weight? What are we leaning on? So how do we put our trust in God and resist the temptation to trust these other things? I'm going to read this passage from the book of Acts, chapter 17. It recounts a visit Paul made to the city of Athens and a challenge and a proclamation that he issued to the Athenians. It's very relevant to our understanding of what it means to trust God. So Acts 17, starting in verse 22. And Paul stood up before the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Being very religious in every way is not necessarily praise here. It's kind of like what we might call a left-handed compliment. For as I walked around, I examined all your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship as something unknown, I now proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men to inhabit the whole earth, and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God intended they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
So in contrast to the Athenians' unknown God, let's look at Paul's profession in 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul says, That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul knew Jesus. If we're going to trust God, we need to know God. Paul had a relationship with God. At one time, he pursued and persecuted the followers of Christ to their deaths. And Jesus, when he chose to introduce himself to Paul, pitched him off his donkey to the ground and blinded him. So the relationship was a turbulent one, but one in which God had shown his faithfulness to Paul. Paul was confident that God would guard all that Paul entrusted to him because he knew who God was. What are you willing to entrust to God? Your job? Your marriage? Your children? Your future? What are you confident that God is able to guard for you? And what perhaps are you holding back in reserve? Saying, hey, it's okay, I've got this part. This part, I'm, I'm taking care of this part. It seems to be a spiritual truth that the harder that we hold on to things, the less we truly have them. But the more we're able to release them to God, to entrust them to God, then we will never lose them. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen twenty five. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Trust is relational. Trust is foundational. It's the foundation of every loving, healthy relationship. Trust. And it's what God wants with us. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want the mindless, ritualistic worship of the Athenians. He wants a relationship. The difference between religion and what God wants from us is like the difference between prostitution and a marriage between two people who truly love each other. Superficially observed, there may be some similar things going on. But there are entirely different things. Religion is actually offensive to God because it's purely transactional. We do certain things, God is expected to live up to his side of the bargain. This is no different than, you know, Toss a virgin into the volcano, the rains come, and the crops are plentiful. It's that kind of transactional religion. And it's the religion of man. It's the religion that you find everywhere. It's the religion that somehow thinks that God needs something from us. That we serve him 
by making offerings. And the verses say, God does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything. There's no meaningful transaction for us with God except to give our whole hearts to him and trust in him. We trust what we know. Trust is the foundation of all good relationships. You will trust in God to the extent that you know God. And our knowledge of God and our trust in God is not a static thing. It can grow. We can grow in our relationship with God and our knowledge of who he is and our ability to trust in him. Go back to Proverbs 3, we're admonished to trust the Lord with all of our hearts. God wants all of our hearts. This is the offering that he will accept. He's given us all of his in Jesus. God wants our hearts so much, Jesus actually boiled down all of the commandments ever given to man into just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. God wants our trust to be completely in him, wholeheartedly in him, and not divided. Because he loves us. And because he knows whatever else we put our trust in will fail us. And it's destined to hurt and disappoint us. So the good news is, though, God wants us to know him. The good news is not just that our sins are forgiven, but that in forgiving our sins, the obstacle that kept us from having a relationship with God was removed. There was a curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the people. And the Holy of Holies was where God's Shekinah glory dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. And only one man could go into the Holy of Holies. It was the high priest. He would go in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. When he went in, they actually tied a rope around him in case he did something wrong and God, you know, they could... They could pull him back out without having to go in there themselves. So there was a real separation there. When Jesus died, he cried out his last words, It is finished. And when he did, at that very moment, it's recorded that this curtain in the temple that separated the people from God was torn in half. From top to bottom, and the, and the direction there is important. God was removing that which separated us from him. It's as if God, at the moment of Jesus' death, grabbed a hold of that curtain and ripped it and said, I don't want this. I have never wanted this. I have always wanted a relationship and not this ritual thing. The ritual thing really God set up for us. Do you know that? 
the ritual thing. We're the ones who wanted the ritual, not God. God always wanted the relationship. God always wanted the walking in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden with us. That's what he's always wanted. The ritual really was to show us how poorly that works and so that we would turn our hearts toward him. So the truly wonderful thing about the gospel is not just that our sins are forgiven us, but that God wants us to know him. In Hebrews 1, uh, 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know God, if you want to be able to trust in God, get to know Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. How closely does Jesus reveal the character, nature, and intention of God towards us? Exactly. Scripture says, exactly. Or again, in Colossians 1.15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. John 14.6, Jesus speaking about himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And I love that the scripture never tries to make the apostles look good. But it always faithfully records how incredibly thick-headed they can be. Just like me. And it gives me hope. It really gives me hope. So right after Jesus says this, Philip says, Lord... Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It's like he's saying, this is great. Okay, Lord, we're ready for the big revelation. This is going to be amazing. Show us the Father. And Jesus has already said, you've seen him. You've seen me. The story continues. Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And Jesus makes this promise in Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. If you want to know God, He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him so that you can trust Him. We trust who we know. When we trust in God, what are we trusting in? We're trusting in the goodness of God, His character, and that in all He does, ultimately He does good. I want to read you another story. This one's from the book of Daniel. It's a great example of what it means to trust in God. At Daniel's request, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up three Jewish men to administrate his affairs in the province of Babylon. And they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Which like, sounds like a great name for a band. But Anyway, the king also had set up at this time a gold statue, probably of himself, and he commanded everyone to worship it on cue. The cue was when the music plays, you fall down before the statue and worship or else. So we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, where some astrologers rat out our boys to the king. And the reason is they were, they were jealous of Daniel because Daniel had like interpreted these dreams for Nebuchadnezzar and they couldn't. So they were kind of looking for a way to get back at Daniel. So at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music, must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. There are some Jews who you've said of the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods or worship the image of God that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's ticked. Furious with rage, he summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. They were not. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, then God, the God we serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Trusting God does not always guarantee the outcome that we want. When we trust God, we also have to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. We're trusting that God is good, that his intentions toward us are good, 
And our prayer is that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were offering in that statement. Even if he does not, we will not serve you. So then, you know the rest of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. And the king looked in and found them unbound and also said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So the message here is clear. If we trust in God, no matter what happens, he will be with us in the midst of the fire, as he was in this case. In the end, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire, and everybody's amazed They gather around. Nothing had harmed them. It said there was not even a smell of fire on them. And this fire was really hot. It killed the guys who threw them in. So we have to be willing to trust God even though things may not turn out the way we want. They will turn out the way God wants. And ultimately that's what's best for us. I want to leave you with one last verse from Romans 15, 13. Paul says to the Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we, are, if we have an attitude of trust toward the Lord, in all things, if we submit, as the proverb says, all of our ways to him, then we can have that joy and peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're not a God who is distant from us, hidden or aloof, but you came in the person of your son Jesus and dwelt among us, And revealed yourself to us. Because you desire a loving relationship with us. You desire us to know you. Help us to seek you Lord. Help us to know you better. To trust all of our lives. All of our ways to you. Help us to discern your will. Help us to have the faith to submit to you. And hold nothing in reserve. Make our paths straight, Lord, straight in your ways, straight to your throne of grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.